You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. All right, so last week we started our uh, series in the book of Daniel, and Jay preached a fantastic sermon, kind of giving us an overview, an overarching um, theme of what the book of Daniel is all about, and I would really highly encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, if you weren't here, to go back and take a listen to that sermon. It was fantastic. Um, And one of the things that Jay did in the beginning of the sermon is he showed a video from this organization, The Bible Project, and if if you don't think you'll have time to go listen to the whole sermon, I would highly encourage you to just go back. And, and find that uh, video. It's online at thebibleproject.com. I've printed that website at the bottom of your note sheet, or had it printed. I didn't personally print it. Uh, but check it out, man. It's a great, a great video. Um, it, it, it takes the book of Daniel and helps you to understand basically what's all going on in the book of Daniel, and it does it in about eight minutes. It's, it's really incredible. So um, again, use the tool that's there. It's great. As we look uh, and get ready to dive into the first chapter of Daniel, I kind of want to set the setting for us again, so we kind of are, are, are all on the same page as far as where we're at. What's happened is, is, is the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, has come to Judah, to Jerusalem. He has attacked the, the country, attacked the city. He's taken it over, basically, and he's taken captives back to Babylon. And um, that's where our story jumps right in. But we need to know a little bit about this King Nebuchadnezzar um, because he, he was very powerful. He was a brilliant guy, very creative guy. Uh, he led a strong army. He was responsible for building some incredible uh, building projects. And in many ways, he was a really good king because he, he wanted what was really good for his country, for the welfare of his people. But in some ways, he was not a good king in that he was all about glorifying and magnifying himself um, over God and above all, actually. And so in that sense, he was, was not a good king, but he was very powerful. And, and if you look at the book of Daniel, it seems like maybe Nebuchadnezzar is the one that's calling all the shots. He seems to be the one that's in charge. And I want to point out that, that, that right here from the beginning, um, not only is that not true, it, it, it never was. Um, look at these few verses. We're going to unpack a little bit more in a minute. But it just is in the first chapter, it says that Lord delivered said God had caused the official to show favor. It said to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. God is the main character of the story of Daniel, and in fact, he's the main character of all of our lives. He always has been. Nebuchadnezzar is strong. He is a powerful king, but he's not stronger than God. And so we need to keep that in mind as we, as we look at this um, text of Scripture, as we follow along and kind of study it out together um, It's a great text, and and I want to say um, also, I'm excited about studying the book of Daniel together because it's one of those books that when you're a little kid in Sunday school, you get to hear the stories of Daniel in the lion's den and and those kind of stories that are kind of interesting to listen to. But as adults, we we don't often like dig down into the book of Daniel and and study it. At least I never have. And and so our hope, our prayer for you is that uh, as a preaching team is that this will bless you, that this will be something that will help you um, in life as it already has for us. And so um, with that said, that's a setting. That's where our story picks up. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll dive into the word. So bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this morning. I thank you so much, God, for, for that opportunity to come and study your word, for the opportunity to um, dive into it, to, to dig into it, and to see what you have to say to us this morning. Uh, Spirit, I have already sensed that you are here. I, I thank you for being here. 
I thank you that, that God, we can worship, that God, your spirit then moves and, and works in and among our hearts. And we pray, I pray, God, that that would be happening right in this very moment for everybody in this room, myself included, that God, your spirit would be doing something in us. And Father, we also thank you that, that while it seems like this world is crazy and maybe has gone a little bit out of control, God, you are not surprised. And God, you are still in charge. You are still ruling and reigning um, as King of King and Lord of Lords. So we thank you for that, Father. I pray for our time now uh, in the word, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start off. This is Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court official, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and gave them, excuse me, took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. There's a lot to learn here. Um, There's a lot to learn, and and a lot we can learn, because the reality is is that Babylon is a lot like America is. Um, They were a wealthy nation. They were uh, very culturally diverse Um, They were a lot like what we are today, but aside from being those things, which are are good things, they also were a culture that was very opposed to the God of the Bible. And that's the way America is today. And that's the main question we're going to be wrestling with, not only this morning, but as we go throughout this whole text, um, throughout the book of Daniel, is this question, how do we live in a society that is increasingly contrary to God? How do we live in a society that's not only contrary, but is in fact hostile to God? 
And so there's going to be four things that I see here in chapter one that, that can kind of help us to navigate living in that kind of world. And the first one we see right here in, in chapter eight, it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Basically what I see Daniel doing here is being totally devoted to God. It would have been against God's um, food laws that had been handed down from Moses for them to eat the food that, that they were being offered. It also was, was possible that some of this food had been offered in sacrifice to idols. And Daniel and his friends didn't want to have any part of that. Why? Because they were totally devoted to God. Before we talk about what devotion to God looks like, I want to just talk about devotion in general. And, and I think the best way that, that we can describe it in our culture is to talk about sports. Any sports fans in the room? Probably a couple, yeah? NBAers, NFLers, NASCARers. Anybody watch NASCAR? Nope. A couple. Awesome. Usually you don't get that in this part of the country. But the, the biggest devotion in our household is, is this. Yeah, Chicago Cubs. My wife is a like crazy Chicago Cubs fan. She is, I'm not kidding, she's into it. She started watching the Cubs when she was a little girl. She would come home from school. They had the WGN network, and so she would watch the games as they were televised. And, and because of that, she, she grew in her liking of the Cubs. In fact, it, it became a devotion that she's had throughout her entire life. Um, sometimes this last season, as the storybook season is going on, it's looking like maybe the Cubs are going to make it to the World Series. I'm wondering if maybe my wife isn't a little bit um, too devoted to the Cubs. I'd, I'd come home sometimes, and she would say things like, man, Javi's having a bad day. Who's Javi? You know Javier Baez. He's the infielder. Like, okay, babe, listen, he doesn't live with us. He's not family. You can't refer to him like that. You know, you can't do that. <laughs> she thinks it's fine. Her devotion is serious. And so, of course, as the season goes on, they win the World Series. I love this picture. It's a great celebration picture, man. They win the World Series for the first time in 100 plus years. 108, thank you, honey. 108 years. And it, she was ecstatic. It was like Christmas had come 15 times, man. She was just excited. But the thing is, is, is I know my wife's devotion to this team, and I know that even if or when they start to lose again, I know all the Cubs fans are like, you bite your tongue. You don't say that. They're going to not win forever, though, right? Probably not. But when they don't win, her devotion is still going to continue to be there. And I think that our um, relationship, for some of us, is like that with God. For some of us, we began, began a life with God when we were young kids, for some of you, you met God when you were young and you have built a devotion to God that has lasted throughout your entire lives. Even when problems have come, you've continued to be devoted to God. My encouragement for you is that is an incredibly good thing. You need to keep going. You need to press on because as hard and hostile and, and actually against God our culture is, is now, I think it's going to get worse. I really do. I think it's going to get worse. And it's going to be important, more important as time goes on for you to remain devoted to God. You need to stay close to him. You need to be with him. Um, and, and like Daniel did too, he did it in the small things and the big things. And we need to be a people that are about that. We need to be totally devoted to God. Some of you in this room, by a group this size I know, are, are probably not devoted to God because you're still trying to figure out who God is. You're still trying to learn about this God of ours. And that's a good place to be. We've all been in that situation at one point in our lives or another. We're still learning who God is together, even those of us that have walked with him for a while. And that's a good place to be. But some of you are hostile to God, just like our culture is. Some of you... Um, 
have little or no interest in him at all. Some of you maybe did come to Christ when you were a kid, but if I looked at your life outside of showing up to church on Sunday morning, there might be nothing in your life that shows that you are devoted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so sometimes for for you, God has become um, a joke. And sometimes for you, you have ignored him completely when things have gone well for you. And then when things start to go bad, you either curse him or you ignore him or you blame him or you beg him to fix your problems for you. My warning for you is, friends, that is a dangerous place to be. It's dangerous. I also know how hard it can be to come to God to turn over your life to him, to choose to follow him, to choose to obey him. It can be kind of a scary thing because God is very clear. He wants all of us. He wants all of us. I um, came to Christ when I was a kid. I had some neighbors that would come to, to take me to church with them. That's how I met Jesus. And I got baptized as a kid, but because of the people that were around me, I think the people that were closest to me, my friends, none of them encouraged me to devote my life to God, to build my relationship with God. In fact, they encouraged just the opposite. They encouraged me to do things that were absolutely sinful and against God's word. And what that did inside of me was establish this this sort of lifestyle where the sin that started off so small got bigger. And then the sin that had grown some got even bigger and it grew to the point that it had completely taken over my life. I was in shackles to my sin. And I came to a crossroads where I had to decide, are you really devoted to God? And I was. I thought I was. But there were so many things in my life that weren't devoted to God. And so I felt the Spirit continuing to work on me and continuing to lead me and continuing to call me to repentance. And I was terrified because I was afraid, what will my friends think? What will my family think? Am I going to lose all of them? And so, one night I came to a very clear realization that I needed to repent. And so through a very painful process of repentance, I, I confessed to my family, confessed to my friends, confessed to some trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of my fears turned out to be not what actually happened. Instead of losing my family, I gained family. Instead of um, being in bondage, I found freedom in Christ. Instead of being hopeless, I found hope. Instead of being discouraged, I found encouragement. Everything I ever wanted, I found at the cross of Christ. When we come to Jesus, we will experience joy and satisfaction and belonging and hope like can be found nowhere else. And so my encouragement to you is, man, come to Jesus. Come to him. He loved you. He loves you now. He made you. He wants to be in relationship with you. So come to him. If you don't know how to do that, come talk to me after the service. Come talk to one of our prayer teams that'll be up here on the side after the service. Come talk to us. Daniel and his friends got this. They were totally devoted to God in everything. The next thing that I see Daniel and his friends doing is also out of verse 8. He said that he resolved not to defile himself. This is um, like deep resolution. And what I see Daniel doing here is being decisive about his faith. Daniel and his friends were decisive about his faith. 
I'm not sure when Daniel became so decisive about his faith. I don't know if it was on the way to Babylon. I don't know if they walked or if they had to ride in carts. I don't know how they got there. But I suspect it happened before that. I suspect it happened back when Daniel was living in Jerusalem, maybe near the palace. I think it happened sooner because I I see this Daniel as a guy who is maybe getting carried away into exile. And he doesn't know what's coming. He doesn't know what life's going to be like for him. But I think one thing he did know was that whatever came, I'm going to be decisive about my faith. I'm going to follow God and be completely devoted to him in everything. And Daniel's a guy that did that. And so I want to talk for a minute about a couple of ways that we can be um, completely decisive about our faith. And the first way is simply this, it's to establish a pattern in our lives. Um, We need to establish a pattern in our lives for doing things that will bring us closer to God, not taking us farther away from God. And so practically speaking, how this works is, is we need to be careful about the kind of things that we're putting into our mind, into our eyes, into our ears, into our hearts. We need to be careful about the kind of movies we watch, the kind of music we listen to. I mean, this is convicting for me. Gary Bashir says something all the time, and he says he tries to never honor anything that doesn't honor Jesus. I like that saying a lot, but it is convicting. Because I think about some of the movies that I watch, and they're so filled with violence. Does that honor God? It's not just the violent ones. The romantic comedies, I know you ladies love them. Some of you guys do too, the rom-coms. The problem with the romantic comedies is, is usually it's about two people who uh, get together, they fall in love, there's a little rift, but surprise, they get together at the very end of the movie and everything works out. But in most of these movies, they're not married and usually they're sleeping together. Does that honor the Lord? I'm not saying you should never watch another movie Um, or I'm not saying you need to have your radio tuned to the Christian station all the time, but I am saying think about what you're doing. Think about what you're putting into your ears, into your eyes, into your heart, into your life. Think about who you're listening to. Think about what it is that you're doing and and, and grid that through that that lens of, is this bringing me closer to God? Is this helping me to be decisive about my faith? And it's not just those kinds of things that we do. It's also about um, our spiritual disciplines. We need to be uh, people that are about prayer, spending time with the, God, with the God of the Bible, speaking to him, talking to him. We need to be all about worship. We need to be about getting together in community. It's what we do on Sunday mornings, small group times. We need to be in the word, studying and reading and knowing the, the word of God. It's why we're all about the Bible here at Grace. It's why we will always be about the Bible here, preaching and teaching through God's word because it's so important. Speaking of disciplines, on our back table right here, we have um, bookmarks that that outline for the season of Lent a reading plan that you can follow each day through Lent, which begins this next Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Pick that up. It's another tool you can use. It's something else you can do to, to be decisive about your faith. But aside from having a pattern in our life, we also need to have a plan. Because the reality is that Satan is going to attack you. The Bible describes Satan as a lion prowling, looking for someone to devour. He's going to attack you. And so my question for you is, where would he attack you? Where would Satan attack you? And and the next question is, what are you going to do about it? What will you do when the temptation comes to be discontent about what God has given you? Maybe you're discontent about the spouse God has given you. Maybe you're discontent about the job that God has given you. 
Maybe you're discontent about the children that God has given you. Maybe you're discontent about the income level God has given you. What are you going to do when those temptations come? What are you going to do when you're tempted to lust because somebody walked by and, man, they look a whole lot better than what you see in your house? The reality is, is, is we need to have a plan. How are we going to deal with sin? Because what we often do is try to white-knuckle it out by ourselves and just hope that everything will get better and go away. I've done that. It doesn't work. What we need to do is, is run to the cross of Christ when temptation comes. My friend Billy Cash preached a sermon here one time. He was talking about this very thing. And he was talking about instead of hiding and, and, and being with your sin and just thinking it's going to get better, when you're tempted, run to the Father. Run to the King of Kings and say, Dad, do you see what's going on? I need your help. Spirit, I need your help. Go to a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Ask them, I need your help. I've got the sin I'm dealing with. And then ask God to help you. And man, if this is a promise. You can, you can count on it. God promises us in his word that by his spirit, if you are a Jesus follower, he is going to help you with your temptation. He's going to. So have a plan. Have a plan. And sometimes our sin doesn't come from just inside our own thoughts and heads. Sometimes our sin, like here in the book of Daniel, comes from outside sources, right? And Daniel is offered food that he doesn't want to eat because he knows it's going to be sinful. And sometimes in a culture that is increasingly hostile to God, there's things that just bombard us all the time. It's hard to stand up under those things. But we need to be. Um, there's a friend of mine at work. Her name, her, I'm not going to tell you her name. She's a great lady, though. She's amazing. Um, she's super sweet. She's not a believer, but she's a sweet, sweet lady. She's a great nurse. She's awesome. But man, this girl has got a foul mouth. She can cuss, you know? You've met people like that. And she will cuss around me and then she will apologize for it. She cusses and then she apologizes. And, and I always tell her, listen, it's, it's, it's okay. I've heard those words before. Secret, I've used some of them at times in my life. But what does bother me, really bothers me, is when she chooses to take the Lord's name in vain. That bothers me, man. Because God, man, he's the most important thing to me. And I don't want to hear people talking about my God like that. And so one day, I felt the prompting of the Spirit to say, just, just say something, Sean. And so I said to her, I said, you know, listen, the cussing, whatever. I don't love it, but it is what it is. But this one thing you do that really does bother me, when you use the Lord's name in vain, that bothers me. So could you please not do that? And she said, okay. She doesn't do that anymore, at least around me. We need to be decisive about our faith. And one of the ways you can do that is to stand up for your faith. Be bold. Be confident. God's given you a spirit to do that. He's, he's given you an opportunity to do that. To be different. We need to be totally devoted to God and his ways. And we need to be decisive about our faith. And so I have a couple of questions for you. The first question is this. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you decided to go all in with Jesus, to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need your help. So will you come into my life and will you help me? Will you help me to get holy? Will you help me to be the kind of person that, that you want me to be? If you haven't done that, man, what are you waiting for? God loves you. He made you. He knows you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. His word's clear about that.
The next question I have is maybe you have chosen to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized. Man, we're baptizing people here on Easter Sunday. What a great day it would be to come get baptized. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you to do that. We'd love to dunk you. We would. We would love to dunk you. A couple more questions. Where are you compromising and allowing your faith or thinking to be eroded by the culture around us? Next question is, are you in a position where there's things that you're recognizing in your own heart and life that you need to repent of? Besides being totally devoted to God and decisive about our faith, how else do we live in this culture that's hostile to God? And I find that here in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. He says this, that God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. What I see Daniel doing here is trusting God. Trusting God when it seems like everything has gone wrong. Trusting that God is still at work in spite of what's going on around you. Because it says very clearly that God is actively involved in Daniel's life, even when he's in exile. And the same is true for you and me. And this is a hard one, because I know some of you, I know some of your stories, some of you are in tough seasons of life. Some of you are struggling, either you or a loved one, with a significant health issue. One of my very, very, very good friend's wife is struggling right now with a significant health issue. Some of you, your marriages are are not going well. And maybe they haven't been going well for a while. And you feel like your marriage is just hanging on by a thread. Some of you have children who maybe are adults who aren't following the Lord and they're, they're making a complete car crash out of their life and you're worried about them. Some of you are just generally worried in general because our culture, let's face it, it's, it's tough to live in this culture. There's so much political unrest. It feels like everything's right at a boiling point. Some of you are genuinely afraid for our future as our country. It seems like maybe God has lost, but the fact is he hasn't lost. Jay talked about this last week. And Daniel and his friends, they got this, man. They were in a tough situation too. Their land had been invaded. They possibly had seen friends and family members get killed right in front of them. And then they get taken away by force to a country that's not their own and forced to serve a foreign king. When life goes like this, or it feels like everything has gone wrong, we need to do what Daniel and his friends did. We need to press into Christ. We need to also hang our hope on the God who loves them. We need to hang our hope on the God who loves you. And one of the ways we can do that is to be rooted in his word. A couple of scriptures Joshua 1.9, a pretty well-known verse. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 1 Peter 5.7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. God is with you. If you're a follower of Christ, God's spirit is dwelling inside of you. He will never, never, never leave you. And so in this world that feels like it has gone crazy, We can trust him. We can trust that he's working still in the hearts and lives of all of us and all around the world because that's the kind of God that he is. Like the song we sang, God is able. The last thing I see is here in verse 17. It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. What I see Daniel and his friends doing here is using their abilities for God's glory and for their own joy. 
God gifted Daniel and his friends with certain things, certain ways that they could do life. And we'll get to see as we go throughout the book of Daniel how Daniel specifically used those giftings. It's incredible. He used them for God's glory and for the good, really, of those around him, even in a foreign country. And so my question for you is to think for a minute about the abilities that God's given you. What are you good at? What are you passionate about? What do you enjoy doing? And how are you using those things for the kingdom? How are you using those things for his glory? One guy that does this well is this guy. I had to go back to the Cubs because I knew it would make my wife smile. This is uh, Ben Zobrist. Um, This guy is, is a really great guy. He grew up as a pastor's kid, grew up inside of the church. In middle school, he read through the Bible, took a year to read through the Bible with his father. And something about the word of God got a hold of this guy's life. Something about the word of God, the grace of God changed something in him so much so that he has been a faithful and devoted follower of Jesus since those days. He was going to go to Bible school, in fact, to be a pastor like his dad, but it turned out he was super good at baseball, and so he got a scholarship to another college, and so he went there, pursued his baseball career, and it seems like things are working out okay with that, right? Yeah. This is a guy who is... Um, not only an exceptional baseball player, but he's constantly working to improve his skills as a player. And he's also using his skills and his platform to serve the local church and the men and women around him. He's known as a guy that when there's, there's new players on the roster, he's intentional about spending time with them. He's a guy that is always ready with an ear to listen, a heart to serve. This is a guy that in between playoff games trying to get to the World Series is on the phone with his pastor back home seeing how they can help take care of a family at the church, at his local church that needs help. This is a guy that loves, is serving and following Jesus with all that he is. He's a great guy. But I think sometimes the temptation for us is to think, man, Sean, I'm not an MLB player. I don't have that kind of influence. Or I'm not a pastor. What what could I possibly offer someone else who is a person like this is this lady here this woman is named nina she is a friend of mine i work with her she works the front desk at the unit where i work at the hospital and um nina is an incredible woman god has gifted her in such a way that she's really efficient she's really organized Um, she does a great job at her job in general But it's more than that because God has gifted her with kind of a unique joy that exudes out of her all the time. Nina works two jobs and she also works graveyard with me. So Nina's tired a lot. But there's something about this woman and the something is that she loves God. She loves God with all that she is. She's always there at the front desk. So when when people come in to visit their babies in the NICU who are sick, some of whom might not live through the day, literally, Nina's there to offer an encouraging word, a healing word, a hope, a smile. Nina's there when they, babies by God's grace, get better and get to go home and she's there to celebrate with them as they go home. Um, Nina is, she's not an MLB player or a professional athlete, but she is someone who loves God and uses what God has given her to impact the world around her, just like Ben Zobrist and just like Daniel. That is the kind of people um, that we need to be, especially in this culture that's constantly pushing and pulling on our faith, 
We need to be a people that are totally devoted to God, that are completely decisive about our faith, that are deeply rooted in God and his promises, and that are making a difference in the world and growing the kingdom around us. And it's my prayer, my personal prayer for all of you is that the spirit of God would be working in such a way in your life that that is not only who you are, but is also who you're becoming. I love you all very, very much. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time we've gotten to have in your word. God, I thank you for your goodness to us, and I thank you that, God, when it feels like the world is totally out of control, God, we can remember that you're still king. You're still ruling and reigning. And Father, I pray for everybody in here, myself included, that we would be a people that are decisive about our faith, that Father, we are fully invested in following and serving and loving you with all that we are, and Father, that we would take that out into the world as we go. Father, I pray that you would help us to see your spirit working. I pray, Father, that you would help us to to know where you want us to work. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We worship you now. In Jesus' strong and mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.